This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Gunners. Back in with you, back again with you guys for another show. Jeez, that was the worst thing I've ever done. Hello and welcome. Um, I hope you're good. I hope you're well this morning. Uh, I hope you're better than I am, clearly, because I can't speak. Um, it seems, but uh, we get on with uh, the week as we approach Arsenal's fourth game of the Premier League season. We play Norwich this weekend, and to be honest, it just being Monday, it feels like it's been. So long, like so ridiculously long since uh, since we played a game of football. And whilst, of course, we did play the game against Brighton behind closed doors against Brentford, it's just not. It's just not the same, is it? It's just not. It's not the same. And so, desperately, you are awaiting that game against Norwich, and it is genuinely desperately. I'm, I just need some Arsenal football back. I mean, this season is going to be. It's going to be a pain without European football to, to suffice in midweek at times because. Without Arsenal, it's it's tough at times. It's tough to get through weeks. So international breaks are long, very very long indeed. But there remains plenty of stuff to talk about and plenty of news to digest and discuss with everyone in the chat box as well. So we're going to go through all of that with you. Good morning, people in the chat. I uh, hope that you are good and well. Please drop a like on the video if you have enjoyed the series and are just joining us for the first time, even. And if you are, please make sure you subscribe and turn those notifications on so you never miss a show and if you haven't done so already please make sure you drop us a vote in the football content awards not long left now to get those final votes in so let's kick off with our first story and of course a massive congratulations to the Arsenal women's team who beat Chelsea 3-2 yesterday at the Emirates Stadium two goals from Beth Mead and Vivian Miedema also chipping in with the first two so Honestly, if you don't know the context of this victory, Chelsea, obviously, are the back-to-back champions of the WSL and last season lost just one game. So the fact that Arsenal have been able to win at home and obviously Arsenal were, as we know, have previously dominated the women's football scene, especially in England. And the fact that they were able to overcome Chelsea in the opening game of the season is a massive, massive boost uh, to, the, to the start. Uh, Jonas Idafel, who is the new coach, if you haven't seen the video of him going mad on the sidelines, 
check it out it's amazing love the passion and uh, as i say if you support the club you support all of it so congratulations to the women's team did amazing stuff yesterday and uh it's uh hopefully it continues and they can pick up or rather reclaim their Premier League title because uh, it's getting a lot more competitive with how Manchester United are improving. Chelsea, obviously, as we know, have, have risen and, and since dominated things and Manchester City are always there too. So it's going to be a tough season, but the perfect way to kick things off and a massive congratulations to them. Um, Bakaya Saka as well, happy birthday or belated birthday. It was yesterday, scored in England's 4-0 win over Andorra. It's a, quite an instinctual header from him as well really good to see and also another video that you should check out if you haven't already is the england fans singing happy birthday to him during his interview uh, with the media really really good stuff uh, fantastic scenes and uh, good for him to get on the score sheet and hopefully come back for arsenal in top form and ready to get a few goals for us because it's been a while since saka's put a ball in the back of the net so we would appreciate him chipping in with some strikes coming very very soon Let's those talk about the news in regards to Arsenal's men's first team and specifically Mohamed El Neni arrived at the Egypt uh, or the Egyptian international camp with an injury, as we know. And because of that, he is unlikely to be fit also for the Norwich game, which does mean that Thomas Partey and Lukonga, should Partey, of course, return to match fitness before that game, would be our First main two starting central midfielders with Granite Xhaka also injured. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, as we know, can also play in midfield, but it would be likely that Lukonga and Partey would partner one another in the midfield. You would hope, anyway, with Elneny now no longer being available. So Maitland-Niles is still an option for Arteta, should he want to. But, yeah, fantastic news in the sense that hopefully we can see Partey and Lukonga. Not so fantastic news that Elneny is injured and we wish him a speedy recovery. But Partey and Lukonga against Norwich is something that I am desperate to see on the field and hope that Mikel Arteta puts that forward. We can all hope. Now, Fabrizio Romano dashed hopes of any Arsenal fans having uh, any kind of hope of Antonio Conte coming to Arsenal in the short term. Uh, he said there's absolutely no pre-agreement between Antonio Conte and Arsenal. Conte has been no, there's kind of no verbal agreement with anything uh, and there's no intentions of him to kind of join a club, even though at the moment he is free, he's not with a club, he could join anyone. Uh, and Federico Pastorello, his agent close to Conte for years, confirms that Freddie Vaxman, that rumours about the Arsenal pre-deal are not true. So there you go. Um, look, at the end of the day, I never thought this was going to happen. <laughs> I never thought this was going to be a, a realistic thing that was going to take place in the coming weeks. I don't see Arteta going anywhere, to be honest. I don't think we'll drop points uh, to a significant level over the next three games. The club would make a choice to get rid of him anyway. I don't want us to. I want us to keep winning and turn things around and push forward with our season. But Conte is always going to continually be linked whilst Arteta and Arsenal are under increasing pressure. And so it makes absolute sense that Conte was linked, but nothing truthful in that whatsoever. Uh, now, an article that I wrote up on Football London discussed the possibility of Mark Overmars joining Arsenal. Of course, if you haven't listened to the uh, <laughs> to the interview that Ray Parler did on, on TalkSport, then I suggest you read the article because at first of all, it includes all of the quotes. Link is in the description as always. Um, but apparently... Mark, uh, Mark Overmars text Ray Parler saying that he basically needs to come back 
because he needs to sort Arsenal out, is the short version. The official quotes are in the article. But I, for one, and obviously when this happened, it's kind of caused a bit of a furore around the idea of Mark Overmars joining Arsenal. I personally don't think it would make too much of a difference from what Edu is already doing. It might be a, a bit better, um, but I don't think it would be... I think it would obviously slow things down initially because you'd need to basically restart. Or you'd need to go through a whole new system, a whole new strategy with Overmars, whereas kind of Edu is already established and moving through his strategy right now. And the reason why I say I don't think it would be... I don't think that it would necessarily speed things up for Arsenal returning or drastically improve what's going on in the transfer market. And there's another reasons for that. And I do go that quite into detail about that in the piece. But there are kind of three options that are thrown around by a lot of people when regarding kind of Edu's replacements, Ralph Ranić, the aforementioned Overmars and Luis Campos. Uh, now, if we start off with uh, Overmars, of course, working with Ajax, he's been at Ajax since 2012. And uh, he worked as and is working still as their sporting director and has been there for four Eredivisie titles, two KMVB Cups. He's been with the club helping them get to a Champions League semi-final, were it not for a Lucas Moura goal in the last minute, would have reached a Champions League final against Liverpool. And who knows what would have happened during that game. But Overmars has overseen a, a massive, long process of buys, of sales, of development of youth players. We think of Matthias De Ligt, Frankie De Jong, Sergino Dest, all of these guys, Donny van der Beek, have come through and have been sold for big fees. Like van der Beek going to Man United, Frankie De Jong going to Barcelona, Matthias De Ligt going to Juventus, Sergino Dest going to Barcelona. So all things that you would hope that would be achieved at Arsenal. Now, we know that Arsenal aren't producing those types of players at the moment that we would be looking to sell. And that's a difference, is that whilst Ajax tend to sell those players like De Ligt and De Jong, Arsenal don't want to do that. We don't want to sell our Emile Smith-Rowe's. We don't want to sell our Bukayo Saka's. And so we want those guys integrated into the team, which is fine. And Edu and Arteta are trying to do that, although I think Arteta is messing up quite a bit of the coaching side of things at the moment. But we're still producing those young talents. The other side of things is the players that are brought in. Now, over Mars has brought in the likes of Hakim Ziyech, the likes of David Neres, Andre Onana. Has identified some really good players. But the problem is, is that that takes time. It's really a long process. Like summer after summer after summer, they bring in a host of players. They sell a load of players and integrate players at different stages of their career into the Ajax team. You've also got to think about the difference between Ajax and Arsenal. Now, the difference between Ajax and Arsenal is massive. Ajax are, have, I think they finished either in the top two places for the last, what, 12, 13 years? And the last time they finished outside the top two was 2008, and that was a third place finish. So, and if you look at the kind of the, the difference in quality between Ajax and, say, just a, a team's not even saying the bottom half of the Eredivisie, but just like, say, from sixth downwards, the difference between Ajax and those teams is massive. There's a huge, massive, significant difference between those quality of those sides. So Ajax are able to take more risks with players. They're able to play a lot more youngsters. They're able to integrate more players and give them more minutes than they would, say, if it was a lot more competitive league. Whereas if you look at the Premier League, <clears throat> Arsenal can't afford to do that. At the moment, Arsenal are having to see their young guys like Saka and Smith-Rowe drag drag our players up and trying to get them further up the table. And 
we can't afford to just keep throwing in 21 and under year olds into the team because we need to find the balance. We need competitiveness. We need to see strong world-class talents purchased, which Ajax don't tend to do. Uh, and we need to see those guys integrated into the team. And I'm not saying that Overmars wouldn't do a good job. He might even do a better job than they do. But the point is, is if you want someone to come in and drastically change Arsenal within the next season or two seasons, which let's be real, Edu's been here since 2019, two years, and we're already sad his job isn't good enough. A lot of people would happily see him go, as we talked about on the, the phone-in show yesterday. Overmars is going to take more than two years. Overmars is going to take... It would, be a, it would be another process, if you like. It would be another period of time for him to have an impact on the team. It's a similar story, in my view, for Ralph Ranić, of course, who, by the way, has just only accepted a job at Locomotive Moscow, so he's not going to be going anywhere, for starters. Um, but he spent he spent a long time as the kind of sporting director at both RB Leipzig and was involved in, in Red Bull Salzburg as well. And those two teams, especially Salzburg, obviously invest in a lot of young players, develop them through, push them into the first team, and then sell them on. Since Ranić has left, RB Leipzig are in a position now where they're starting to try and become more Bundesliga title contenders. And you may see there the way in which they employ players, and they have done. I mean, Ranić kind of introduced an under-23 role at RB Leipzig, which is now no longer there because they purchased Andre Silva this summer from Frankfurt. That goes to show that RB Leipzig is now under a different direction, is going through a, a period of change, a period of evolution into another side. But Arsenal, again, are different. Like we can Sure, we can invest in youth, and we've done that this summer. We've invested in a hell of a lot of youth, ironically, with players all under the age of 24. The 23 and under all ironically applied with Arsenal this summer. But what we lacked was this summer, in my view, is the balance, is we didn't add that key experience, world-class marquee talent in the central midfield to balance out our team this year. We didn't do that, where well, I would have definitely done that. And so, again, Ralph Ranić, were he to come in, not saying he wouldn't do a good job. I know there are a lot of people out there who think he would do a really good job. The point is, is that, again, he would take a long time to have another significant impact on getting Arsenal back to where they are. And then the last person is Luis Campos. You know, a lot of people have, have really rated, and I am one of those people, the job that he's done at Monaco with all of those amazing talents that we hear about have gone on to make Monaco ridiculous amounts of money. And then he went to Lille and did the same thing again with players like Nicolas Pepe, like Gabriel. And now we're seeing it with the likes of Sven Botman and Renata Sanchez. Like we're seeing these same situations reoccur because he's a great spotter of talent. But the point is, is that, Luis Campos is famous for spotting talent and, again, making lots of money off of those for teams like Lille and for like Monaco. Now, what Luis Campos hasn't done is he hasn't been a, a club that you would look at, say, in one of the either the Premier League or he hasn't been at, like, say, a team where you really turn around and go, he's identified the talent that is going to turn a team into title challenges in, in the Premier League. I know Lille won the league of where they were with what they had. It's a different scenario, in my view. It's, it's, it's a very different situation. He was a scout for Real Madrid, and that's kind of where he, you know, he was a scout there. He wasn't kind of the integral master of all the recruitment. But when he's gone to Monaco, when he's gone to Lille, it's if you add enough quality into teams, in my opinion, like Lille and Monaco, and if it coincides with PSG 
doing a PSG under Unai Emery or uh, who is it there under previously? Uh, Maurizio, oh, Maurizio Pochettino or, or Unai Emery, where you've kind of had those two seasons of a little dip in form, huge amounts of injuries to key players, and it enables teams like Lille or Monaco to compete with them for a season. That's that's helped them to those titles whilst playing really well and bringing in some really quality players at the same time. But I feel like Luis Campos is someone that would need to to work with an Edu. He'd, be, he'd need to be someone that works with someone rather than be the, the main kind of guy. And I feel like you would need like a dynamic between Luis Campos and someone else for it to, to work at, say, a Premier League side where the league is massively competitive, especially at a club like Arsenal that don't have the resources of a Manchester City or a Chelsea or a United. Like you, It would need to be, again, a longer process of identifying some really kind of left field talent that would come into the team and then have a big impact. That's that's for me is would be the difference, and that is the key difference between Arsenal and these other clubs. Is that the environment and the situation is just so different, so so different. Yeah, Marco, he won the league with uh, Monaco. It's it's about the context of the situations, Marco. It's about Liga and how you add players into a team like Lille or Monaco, and if you're able to raise those two teams' levels by a certain amount. They can become a team if it coincides with quite a bit of fortune of, say, PSG being silly and dropping points or employing the likes of Unai Emery and having a lot of injuries. You can compete really well in that league. But that same level, if you were to apply it to Arsenal, the level needs to be so much greater for Arsenal to to, to achieve what it needs to. The, the difference in what you need to improve of a side between those two teams is so much greater it's not about saying that he couldn't turn teams like Leo and Monaco into title challengers. He did with the players that they had there. But the difference between turning Lille or Monaco with the players that and the resources that were there and the talent that was there already, by adding more, you would turn those two into players that if it coincided with a year in which PSG were not themselves, which let's be real, in those two seasons, PSG weren't necessarily as good as they have been previously, then... If you do that same to Arsenal, it's just different. It's so different. You, you'd need to step up the level so, so, so much more than he had to do at Lille or, or Monaco. And again, it would take a long time. It would take, and that's the my, that's kind of the key point with this, is that it would take an incredibly long time still to do that under these different guys' processes. This isn't a criticism of these people. I respect this. I respect in the way that they gradually build up a side. And I think Edu is doing it similarly with us at a different level because he's having to identify players that can go into Premier Leagues, a Premier League side that's currently finished back-to-back eighth in eighth position. And that's the difference between Edu and the others right now is that he's doing it at a much harder job. It's a much, much harder job at Arsenal than it is at a Leipzig or an Ajax or a Lille or a Monaco. It's a ridiculously more difficult job. And it's going to take whoever's there a long period of time. Now, in the article, I talk about Michael Emanello, uh, Emanello uh, who is the guy that was at Chelsea previously, who came in and with the resources at Chelsea, brought in the likes of Ed Nazarts and Golo Conte. Um, you think of anyone between those key years, Nemanja Matic, that they won titles, they won a Champions League, they won a Europa League. And the differences between between him and also if you think about the way in which he sold players there too, like Chelsea have 
pretty much broken even a lot of times with with how they've sold players. They've sold exceptionally well using utilizing and taking advantage of the loan market. I would look at someone like Michael Emanillo and, and go, he is the guy that if Arsenal fans want to see immediate impact signings, he's the guy you go to. He's the guy that identifies those key players as a, as a director of football or technical director at Chelsea, sporting director, wherever the role. He's the guy that would do that. And he is available right now. He left Monaco in 2019. So I don't, I don't think that it's... I don't think you're going to see Arsenal go to, to say, bring in someone who's done it at Chelsea and bring them into Arsenal and it'll be the same. I don't think you're ever going to see that happen because I just don't think it's possible because of the resources that Arsenal lack, because of the poor work done by those previously over the last half decade plus, the end of the Arsene Wenger era, the the, the Emery era, the Arteta era, the Raul Sanyehis that clashed with Sven Mizentat. Like Sven Mizentat, we treated so, so poorly. Like if he was able to actually be that guy, that recruitment guy, I think we could have done some really good things. But he wasn't because Raul Sanyehi was the, just a dictatorship at that time and Sven wasn't really able to have as much of an impact on things as I think he would have wanted to. And he's doing some really good stuff <clears throat> at Stuttgart now. And you look at how Stuttgart got promoted and now establishing themselves as a Bundesliga side and are going to be, in the years to come, pushing to try and, you know, not only remain there, but push towards a European place. And that's through all the work of Sven Mizentat is given kind of the... The thing, and this is these are the types of comments that I find frankly ridiculous to say that Edu doesn't know what he's doing because Edu is the first, he's the first guy that's been in this role over the last 10 years, as we talked about a lot yesterday, who identified not only that we needed a centre midfielder, but brought in one of the best centre midfielders on the continent, Thomas Partey, identified that we not only needed a centre back, but brought in, you know, a young loads of potential, but was already performing in one of the top five leagues, Gabriel. You fast forward to January, we're struggling massively because we haven't, we weren't able to get in a creative player. We bring in Martin Erdegaard on loan, which we've now been able to make permanent this summer. Amazing amount of potential. I didn't think we saw the best of him those six months, and I'm not surprised because of what happened in the six months prior. But I think this season, we've got a chance to see Erdegaard like, really explode this season. Not only that, but He's being able to identify the fact that we keep on keep on having to terminate contracts, and he's having to do the termination. He's actually, unfortunately, having to have those black marks on his record of having to terminate contracts because of the mistakes made by the previous people in charge, the people that signed Mustafi, the people that signed Socrates, the people that signed uh, that that gave Meza Urzil a ridiculous contract extension at the level that we did, the people that brought in say a Kalasinac and now we're lumbered with that situation too. The people that have allowed other players to drop down to certain levels of contracts. Look, he is now having to deal with that and is going to have criticisms towards him. And and unfortunately, he is just going to have to deal with that. But he's identified that we we had that situation and has instead now gone out and in this market brought in six players, 23 years of age and on younger, with lots of potential that have now balanced things out much more. It's not completely balanced because we still, in my opinion, missed, we miss the the key figure. And Lamrock, what I would suggest is, is I offered yesterday the opportunity for people to come onto the show. And I said, if you don't agree with this point of view on Edu, 
come on the show. Let's have a chat. Let's have a talk. And the likes of Zeds and Shravan and Egal came on the show and we had a really good chat. And what's frustrating for me is, is that I send out opportunities and invitations for people to come on the show. People are happy to sit in the chat box and bash people left, right and center. But when the actual opportunity arises for people to come on the show and have a discussion about Edu, shy away, stay silent, don't want to say anything. The opportunity is there. I offer it very willingly <laughs> for you to come on the show and speak your mind and, and debate about the point. But it's complete silence. So again, I extend the invitation if you are wanting to debate about the Edu point of view. I will absolutely sit here and have a good chat about that. Adam, I see you in the chat quite a lot criticizing some of the things. Come on the show, Adam. Come and tell us what you think, because I'd love to have discussions about this point of view and try and understand. It's not about catching you out. It's not about trying to make you wrong. It's about understanding what your point of view is. And it's about me asking questions to try and help me understand why you're at that point. And who knows? One of us may change our mind. Neither of us may change our minds. And that's the whole point of a debate. But it's not to say that I don't offer the opportunity for people to come on the show uh, I definitely, definitely do. Just drop us a DM over at the Guna Talk TV or on Instagram, the Guna Talk, and we will sort out a time to do these shows. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. Let's finish off the show as we always do by going through our questions um, in the chat box. So if you do have a question, a thought, a theory, please do throw them into the chat and we will go through as many of them as feasibly possible. Toby, drop me a DM and uh, we can chat about a time for a show. John says, I think you've been very fair in these discussions, Tom. I found them entertaining and informing. Thank you, mate. Much appreciate it. Peter says, Edu is doing his job, although not yet perfect, but he's doing a good job. And I think it's this idea of like perfection that I think a lot of people get very attached to. Like if you look at where Chelsea are, you look at where United are and how they're doing and the business they've done. And I brought this up on yesterday show if you were uh, if you went on to if you speak to a lot of Chelsea fans or United fans and you see United have signed Sancho Varane Ronaldo what are United fans still saying we didn't bring in a center midfielder you talk to a Chelsea supporters they brought in Lukaku and Sal Niguez and they sold a hell of a lot of players for really good fees what are they talking about they didn't bring in a centre-back. There is always something. It's really difficult to find a perfect window. Manchester City signed Jack Grealish, spent £100 million on him. Didn't get a striker. Missed out on that opportunity to bring in a striker this window. And they don't really have. They have Jesus, who is not playing at striker. And they have Ferran Torres, who, again, is not really a striker. So to find a perfect window, even from these clubs that we put into such high esteem and where are, are where we want to be. Having a perfect window is almost unheard of. It is almost impossible to see. And you've also got to think about that we don't know what the budget is for Edu. Like we don't know how much he had to spend. We spent £150 million and we sold £24 million worth of players in, in Joe Willock. And I do have sympathy for the sales. I don't know how you sell a player that no one wants to buy. I do have sympathy for not selling Granite Xhaka for £9 million. I wouldn't have done that. I disagree with the contract extension. I wouldn't have done that. I, but the, the, it's, it's really hard because if you don't extend Xhaka's contract, then he finishes this season on one year left on his deal. And then you're, you're probably just, you're probably going to keep, oh, we probably would keep Granite Xhaka for another year. 
because the fee that you'd get for a Granite Jacker with one year left on his deal is going to be minimal. So the club will probably keep him until the end of that contract. Weirdly, if you extend it, and I know I keep going back and forth on this Jacker contract thing because I can't get my head around it and I'm trying to do my best to understand it. If you extend the contract, then in 2022, he'd have, I think, two years left with an option of an extra. And you could still, say, get a team that have then got more money because they're less affected by the pandemic in 2022 because fans are back in stadiums, making more revenue, etc. Maybe a bid would come in then. I don't know. I'm just theorizing as I'm trying to make sense of the reason why we extended it. I I wouldn't have done. I would have, say, maybe taken 15 million for 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 Xhaka this summer, I thought nine million was was insulting, and I think if we'd accepted that bid, I mean, you wouldn't see a club accept nine million pounds for a twenty eight year old first team player. Teams that we want to be emulating, teams like Chelsea United, we wouldn't see. I mean, Man United just got thirty million for Dan James. Like, if we want to be where these teams are, if we want to try and be in that top four, we've got to start acting like a club that does that. We've got to start acting like a club that gets good money for their players. So we can't be hypocrites. We can't turn around and say, oh, I'd, you know, I would just take a nine million. Oh, I would have just terminated his contract. Oh, I would have done this. Oh, I would have done that. Because what we're saying, oh, I would have done this, though that this is not the same as the clubs that we're trying to be. So we can't contradict ourselves. We can't sit here and say, oh, I'd take nine million for Xhaka if we want to be in the same situations as Chelsea's and Cities and United's. We've got to start acting in the same way. We've got to act like big clubs. And I don't think accepting ridiculously low fees for first-team players is is acting like a big club. I think it's a club that needs to be more stubborn. And I think Edu did well in the situation to stand his ground. And if you think about it, they actually agreed a deal with Crystal Palace for, for Eddie and Ketia. I think it was around £12 million. We were very critical at the start. Why are we not accepting the £10 million? We agreed a fee with Crystal Palace for, for Eddie and Ketia. Edu did that. And his personal terms and Ketia's personal terms meant that we didn't get the deal done. So I can't criticise that. I, I had to hold my hands up and say and apologise because I, I was really putting really putting the hammer down on Edu for the Nketiah situation when it turned out it wasn't him. Um, let's go to Adam, who says, uh, Hi, Tom. As getting rid of KSE is a long shot, do you think that we should focus on getting rid of Vinai who has made some questionable choices and bringing a CEO who has experience in football. Adam, you know what? This, the, the position that Vinai holds, I know so little about. I don't know what he does. other than the, like, I know he does a lot of commercial stuff, as he was doing before he became that CEO, Ivan Gazidis type of position. But I don't really know what he does. I would love to speak to someone who could tell me what he does. I'd love to speak to Vinay and ask him what he does. I don't know what his role is. I don't know what he's, I know that he oversees Arsenal as a whole. Like he has to focus on the women's team and the men's team. Is it him that decides if Arteta gets sacked? Is it him that makes that decision, or is it the Cronkies that make that decision? Is he just kind of a messenger between the Cronkies and Edu and Arteta? I'm really confused as to what Vinay's role is. I'm really confused to know what how I measure if he's doing a good job. I don't know what he does. And it's something that definitely think needs to be covered. Marco Williams says, Xhaka is awful. I would have taken the hit and recalled Genduzi. Then again, we have a weak-minded manager. Thus, we suffer from the consequences. Look, under the situation, Edu is... So you have to think about the fact that Edu is here. You're saying that you would have taken Genduzi back. If you're Edu and you've got You've got Arteta, who, by the way, we are in the best understanding that Edu doesn't have the power to get rid of Arteta anymore since his promotion to manager. 
they're on pretty much a level playing field in terms of stature in the club now at manager and technical director. So you've got to do what you can to provide your manager the best squad possible for him to use. He's not going to use Genduzi. And, I, and you know, you say what you like about that. That's not on Edu. That's on the way that Arteta's dealt with that situation. So we couldn't recall Genduzi because Arteta wasn't going to use him. We know that. That's fact. And that's why we got a loan with obligation and we're going to lose Genduzi for a, a fee, which is frankly ridiculous. But yeah, one year left on his contract and no one else was going in for him bar Marseille from the sounds of things. Hertha Berlin didn't want to keep Genduzi. Hertha Berlin, who were aside in a relegation battle in the Bundesliga for a lot of last season, didn't want to keep him. So we have accepted that year with a £9 million buyout obligation for Genduzi because we were backed into a corner and the frankly the manager and the way in which that situation has gone down has led to that point. William Saliba, I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen maybe William Saliba stay. I was happy with the loan because I didn't think he was going to play under Arteta. I don't think Arteta was going to pick him. And if you're Edu, I mean, maybe the maybe the fact why we messed up the Saliba situation previously is there was rumours about an agreement with Wren anyway, which broke down at the final moments because of Wren, not because of the club. But maybe because Edu actually, we don't know, but maybe Edu does like the player. Maybe he thinks he's got the potential to play, but knows that Arteta's not going to use him, that Arteta doesn't think he's ready. And so he's done the sensible thing and sent him out on loan to get minutes. You never know, in case Edu, rather Arteta, goes, Arteta gets sacked and a new manager comes in and when Saliba returns, he uses him. So it's when you look at things from different perspectives, maybe we come to different results. But saying that you would have taken the hit on Xhaka is not acting like the club that you want us to be, Marco. It's a contradiction. It's hypocritical. You can't take the hit on a player and expect Arsenal to become the team that you think that we want to be. It doesn't work that way. You've got to find the balance. You've got to find a way in which you want to be a big team by making big team decisions and selling a first team 28-year-old that had a mad Euros for 9 million quid is not one of those decisions. It's not what a big club would do. DJ Steele says, sometimes we need to just sit back and stop the outrage and mostly nothing um, because this is a project and things don't happen overnight. Things don't happen overnight. I think we need to identify the positives, we need to identify the negatives and then you come to a conclusion. I think there are plenty, plenty of like positives about Edu's situation that counterbalance the mistakes that have been made under his tenure that lead him to a point where I think more good decisions have been made. And I actually think that it's, it's I point the finger in two directions. One, squarely at the ownership every single time. And secondly, I'm certainly in a position where I think that a change of manager would actually help Edu bring about his philosophy, bring about his vision, which I am still very much trusting right now, forwards. And I remember, I, I think a lot of last season, I think I really backed Arteta because a lot of what I saw in the transfer market, I, for some reason I gave him a lot of credit for, when actually it was more Edu that I think I was being more complimentary of. And Arteta, was, whilst was making a lot of mistakes from a coaching standpoint, I kept on fixating on the idea that we'd finally got people in that were making some good decisions in the market and bringing in players that we needed, like Partey and Gabriel and then Erdogan. Like, I think I fixated on that too much. And I think I gave the, the manager probably too much credit when it was more so not to do with him and more so to do with, with their do. And that's why, that's another reason as to why I've kind of dropped off the fence onto the side of, I think I'd rather change coach than keep the one that we currently have. Um, 
Alan says, uh, do you think we will really establish three at the back? Uh, if we go to a 3-4-3 or 3-5-2, are you for the idea of back three or back four? What's your ideal formation? 3-4-2-1 is my formation. Uh, I'd go with, and some of you may not like this, uh, I'd go with Ramsdale in goal. I'd go with Tommy Asu, right wing back. I would go with Ben White, right centre back. Gabriel, centre centre back. I'd go with Tierney, left centre back. I'd go with Saka at left wing back. I'd go with Lukonga and Partey in midfield. And I'd go with Erdegaard and uh, Emil Smith Rowe behind as two number 10s. Abamia, that's how I would work it. I've explained it a number of times, so I won't go into any more detail, but that's that's my preferred and best, in my opinion. Formation. A couple more questions, guys, and then I'm going to have to shoot because I'm starting work soon. Let's go to Moses. With your journalist status, could you interview Vinay? It's not as easy as <laughs> it's not as easy as it sounds, Mo. It's not as easy as it sounds. Um, Thracian says we should have sold Xhaka and used Genduzi in a swap with Bubakar, uh, uh, Bubakar Camera um, from Marseille. Uh, brings in a decent body in midfield and doesn't cost too much as he's the last year. Hey. Look, one of the mistakes that Edu made this summer, in my opinion, was not bringing in a central midfielder that improved upon the first team options. I think there are two reasons why we didn't do it. I think one of those reasons is definitely because we decided instead to renew Granite Xhaka's contract because no one was coming in for him at a price that we deemed acceptable. And the second reason is I think that we may have gone for more. We may have gone for an extra centre midfielder, but we weren't able to bring in enough money from sales to commit to it. If you think the £150 million that we spent this summer which, by the way, is not actually £150 million straight up because a lot of those deals are done in staggered payments. But if you just consider it as the money that we spent this summer, I think had we have moved on an Enketia, a Nelson, a Torreira, a, a Xhaka, a Kalasanac, these guys for genuine fees rather than loans and keeping them and stuff, if we'd have actually been able to get a decent fair few fees for those guys, we may have been able to bring in a centre midfielder. I think that they prioritised bringing in a variety of positions and cover in all in every area possible and added to, say, with Erdogan and added with Ben White. And then because they managed to keep Xhaka, I think that they probably were going to wait and see if they were able to sell some more players. And if they were able to bring in some more money, you may have seen them go for a central midfielder. Because it's very obvious they wanted to bring one in. But we bid for Manuel Locatelli. We saw the links to Gimolaish and Neves and Basuma. All of them were said to be players Arsenal were interested in. So clearly we wanted to bring someone in, in that position. We just we just didn't make enough of a sale. Like we just we just didn't make a sale. Thracian says we put a fifth 40 million pound bid in for Locatelli. Where did that money go? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, after that bid, we bought Erdogan. We bought Ramsdale. We bought uh, Tomiyasu. So whilst at that time we we spent that money on Locatelli, if we'd have brought in Locatelli and maybe sold Xhaka for 15 to 20 million, maybe we still would have done that business. But we didn't. We kept Xhaka. We didn't get any money for him. We loaned out Torreira. We loaned out Bellerin. We loaned out Reese Nelson. We kept Teddy and Ketia. We kept Kalasinac. And had we have not done those things, maybe Edu would have had the financial capacity to go and bring in a sentiment. I'm just speculating. This is just theory. I'm just trying to make sense of what's going on because I only look at the decisions that we made in the market from a transfer-in standpoint. I look at them as positives. I think people are being exceptionally disrespectful to the signs that we've made, quite frankly. But I think that we've actually done some good work in the window, but I can't rate the window any higher than a 6 out of 10 because we didn't sell enough players and we didn't bring in a centre midfielder. And those two key things were massive. 
absolutely key and massive to a successful window is selling as much as we could, which we couldn't, be that Edu's fault, be that the pandemic's fault, be that the buying club's fault, whatever. We didn't do it. And we didn't bring in the key centre midfielder upgrade that we needed. And because of those two key things, I can't say that this was a successful window because it wasn't. still think we did some good stuff, but I just don't think. Six or seven out of ten is where I'm at. But I don't. I think to, to rate it lower than a five is, is hyperbole, to be honest, even out of five maybe. But I'm, that's where I'm at. That's that's where I, I think I'm at right now. Marcus says, what about McGinn? I don't think McGinn's any better than really what we have. I want to bring in someone who's genuinely a big upgrade on what's already in central midfield, to be honest, Marco. I want someone who's going to have an immediate, positive, big impact. Plus, McGinn's only just signed a new contract, I think, less than a year ago at Villa. So he's going to cost you a silly amount for a player that I don't think is going to improve you. Um... I think we're going to finish this off there. We are going to finish things off there. Thank you all so much, guys, for tuning in. As I said, look, if you disagree with me about the Edu point of view, I love this debate. It's a really good debate. I had a good couple of chats with people yesterday on the channel. Send us a DM at Laguna Talk TV on Instagram, Laguna Talk. Find us there. Send us a message. I'll get you on. We'll talk about Edu. I have absolutely no problem doing it. But trust me, it has been hard to find people that are willing to actually stand by their own opinion rather than hiding behind an avatar on social media. It's really difficult to find these people that are willing to, you know, have a chat. Fair play to those that did. Uh, I look forward to having more of those conversations. I will see you again very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.